And we're live with our 132nd episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky <clears throat> at CK Tricky on Twitter. Join by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to another episode. This is number 132. Uh, Ken and I are flying duo today, right? I guess it's not solo quite, you know, in, in the in that sense of the word. Um, but a lot has happened in the last week. Uh, there's quite a few things that we want to talk about. There's a couple of articles that we've pulled up. Um, we've been getting some um, feedback requests or some topic requests in the Slack channel as well. So if you have more of them, that you anything that you want us to review from an AppSec perspective, or maybe from a live perspective, but from an AppSec perspective, uh, jump in, join the conversation. Uh, we'd, we'd love to discuss it. Um, the... I mean, before we dig into that first article, Ken, that we were talking about, though, I did want to bring up uh, Dan Kaminsky. I like it, it. It's been interesting to watch, right? Um, but Dan passed away a few days ago, right? Like, and the community's just been finding out, and everybody's been talking about kind of his influences and things like that. Um, he was pretty regularly, well, he was a speaker pretty regularly for a number of years there. <laughs> Black Hat and DEF CON. Um, and like, had a, I mean, he had a pretty outsized influence on the community, at least, you know, from the outside. I mean, my interactions with him were pretty um, limited, to be honest, right? Like, he, uh, he was always super nice and like always super smart, right? I remember, I'm pretty sure he was involved with some of the MD5 stuff early on. Um, but he's very well known for the DNS stuff, the DNS talks that he gave. And yeah, anyway, I just wanted to shout out and yeah, I don't know what else to say about that other than rest in peace, right? Just, it sucks when we lose somebody, that's all. Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> the positive side of it is you see how, um, if there is any positive side to be gained, which obviously I think that one thing that I was noticing is just like how many people were, um, positively impacted by Dan's mm -hmm. life and work. Yeah. And I think that that's the best thing that you can do, right? Is like you leave people with like these good memories of you and your um, things, you impact that you had on folks, positive impact you had on folks. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know Dan well personally, but obviously always ran into him at conferences and saw a lot of the talks and everything. So, um, yeah, best wishes for the family that's, you know, dealing with that right now, uh, the aftermath. So, um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess the, the the silver lining there is that Dan obviously had a had a like a, a good positive impact on the community and, and people. Uh, so, yeah, something and, to focus on. Something to focus on for sure. Right. And it, it almost makes me think, too, about like, OK, what is it that we're accomplishing? And um, like. You know, it is the impact that that I have personally, like, is it positive or like, what are my interactions with people outside of like kind of my, you know, my circle, you know, and I don't know. I, I mean, it was just like a kind of a good reflection, reflective thing. And I, you know, but yeah, I, I'm, you know, best wishes to all of them. Good luck with it. So, and, you know, uh, It'll come through, but it'll suck. Right? I, I don't know. That's all. Um, yeah, life is short. You got to make the most of it. No game. Yep. No day is ever guaranteed. You got to treat it like that. That's how I 
like to look at it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But don't put things off. Do the things you need to do. Yeah. Or, exactly. Know, want to do. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, if, if anybody hasn't seen some of the research that Dan put out there, right. Um, I would recommend that you go watch some of those videos, right. His, um, his paper on MD5 cracking, like, you know, is that like for a long time, everyone thought that MD5 was theoretically weak, right. But there was no necessary proof about it or collisions until Dan. And there was a couple others that were involved like crypto guys that actually went in and proved out the use cases, Right. And there's even like, um, yeah, I, I, maybe I'll, I'll grab one of those and we'll post one of those articles. Cause that, that was pretty instrumental in me, like digging into like algorithms and things like that. I, I mean, that's the reason why he had an impact on me personally was I, at the time I was doing just like kind of surface level penetration testing stuff. And like, it was interesting to really dig in from a coding perspective on how things are implemented. Um, and that was one of the, you know, that's one of the things that we, we always preach is there's, there's weaknesses everywhere. Um, there's, I, I, there's things that you can affect from a security perspective that you may not know and coming at it from your own viewpoint is going to give you an advantage that someone else doesn't have. That doesn't mean that they're not going to have advantages that you don't have, but, um, yeah, your experience is going to make you look at things differently than somebody else. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, that was what, oh, dang, man, that was 2004 that Dan gave that talk. That's, dang, okay. Yeah, I'm getting old, man. That's that's all. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, so that was uh, heavy. And uh, yeah, so that, I don't was know a, the same way, way to, to really roll into computer security stuff um thanks seth no i'm kidding I'm just messing with <laughs> thanks you. for the day yeah no it's, he was a it's, good guy right that's a, that, that's all i wanted to say he was a good guy and you know. yeah there's actually this book that stefan edwards recommended called uh seneca uh or sorry it's about it's sorry it's seneca it's talking about the shortness of life and like how to make the most of life and everything like that I'm halfway through this. I highly recommend. Let me get. Let me see if I can get it up to. Oh, wrong camera. I keep putting it in the wrong camera. That's why. Uh, I have like two cameras. So that's a good book. Uh, check it out. It gives you some perspective philosophically on how to maximize your sort of life and efforts and such. So that's that's how I'll do the segue here, Seth. Sweet. I will lighten the mood and and go into something a little less a little less heavy, um, which is. Code Cub. <laughs> I don't know if it's any less heavy. Yeah. Um, supply chain attacks. Yay. <laughs> yeah. We're back to supply chain attack conversations this week. Um, I feel like we've had a lot of these over the last, Man, it, I don't know, we definitely two have. years, but definitely the year. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like a supply chain attacks are increasingly uh, the way people are going to have large scale impact. Well, yeah. I, I mean, you're talking about the Code Cup one. That's not the only one. There was the Homebrew one as well mm-hmm. recently. Um, hold on. Let me throw the link in there so people know what we're talking about because I haven't done that yet. Um, and I haven't necessarily read through this one too deeply, right? So if you want to speak to it as far as what actually happened and what components were taken advantage of there, that would be. Yeah, great. we had to deal with this actually at work, so I might as well. Yeah, so with CodeCub specifically, uh, there's a code coverage, uh, CodeCub uh, site. People, you know how like with RVM, 
So Ruby versions manager, you can do like the curl and you do the rvm.io to some script and then it runs the install script and magic no, happens no, no, and you have No RVM. one ever does that as, you know, <laughs> pipe straight to root. But yeah, yeah, I know, I know how it happens. <laughs> so similar thing here, uh, pulling in a shell file on that site, CodeCub site. Um, instead of vendoring it in, which is something we've talked, we, I don't know the, like when you and I have talked about it, but I know we've, I know I've talked about it in multiple training courses for like, not the training course you and I give, but like training courses for, you know, secure development and stuff like that is vendoring in software. Uh, cause anytime you pull in software from another place that you don't control the security of that place, there's risk, there's, there's risk period. Um, you have less control. So this is what people did. They, in their CI CD pipeline, they had a shell, they had a, a line that said, pull this shell file, do the install, go for be well. Um, somebody overwrote that uh, shell file, go, go figure, put in a line that basically exfiltrates environment variables, which often include like secrets and such. Um, HashiCorp was one that, uh, this article, which I'll, oh, you've already put it on there. Cool. Um, that article right there. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, there's a link there. Um, HashiCorp's GPG key that they use to sign and assert, you know, the software's trustiness uh, was exfiltrated when uh, that, that script was, was uh, hacked and pulled in. And, um, so now they're going back and trying to, so they have revoked that previous key. You know, obviously there's a new key fingerprint and they're going back and trying to secure the Terraform um, releases and just a bunch of stuff, right? Like what I'm trying to say is they, they're doing a bunch of work to like recover from that. Um, but I think there's a bigger point to all this, which is uh, like, well, there's probably multiple points, but again, one is to just vendor in software whenever possible. Um, which is most of the time. Um, and then the other is to, uh, well, I guess there's a, I guess there's a lot of ways you could, you could look at that. I mean, obviously you shouldn't be pulling in shell files directly in CICD, but I think one of the questions that Derek had, one of the viewers Derek had was about how to store secrets securely. Um, I'm a little, it's a little bit of a shaky territory to go into, mainly because we just dealt with this with actions, which, as you know, stores secrets as environment variables that can mm -hmm. be pulled out. So I'll I'll uh, I'll <laughs> skate this razor thin ice there and say that um, I don't I don't know how to do that, but uh, I would say <laughs> like environment variables for secrets can can be um, uh, a bit of a um, a bit of a difficult thing to uh, to keep secure. What I would say is we typically, we being like security people typically use Vault. You yep. access from Vault. Obviously, in, <laughs> in this case, HashiCorp Vault is probably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a, that, that's a great recommendation there, Ken. <laughs> that's why I'm like, I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't with these recommendations. Like all of them are bad for me, right? Like if I talk about actions or HashiCorp, there's no good like, <laughs> uh perfect solution here but yeah i mean definitely vendoring in software and then um yeah yeah um, and, and i mean derek for his uh, to his point right like we should probably define what vendoring in is oh right, right. yeah sorry i should explain that 
Um, we call it vendor. Do you want to explain that? I'll take a break here. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, so vendoring software is validating the package that you have and then pulling it down to a local trusted repository and pulling the software from your trusted repository rather than going out and, you know, running a curl command against GitHub or against a site that you don't have control over, right? Um, so in the case of that HashiCorp, uh, you know, curl.i, it's pulling a bash file from codecove.io. Um, it probably should have been, they, well, I'm sure they're, they are now, but they should have pulled that file locally, um, validated it, and then run it. Or at the very least, they should have validated the hash, right? Or something. Checksum. The yeah. checksum, right? Just to make sure that it was what what was expected. Now that this gets really difficult when you start talking about npm, this is not an easy solution to solve, right? Um, the amount of packages that are installed with just like a React app or you know a Node application, just running a server express, uh, it it becomes very difficult. But at the very least, you can validate the packages. You can lock to certain versions. And you can check, you know, checksums or hashes to make sure that it's, it, it is what you expect. It doesn't mean that you won't pull down something that's vulnerable when you do that. Um, but at the very least, it gives you a level of assurance that, you know, when somebody removes left pad from NPM that you don't get hit with it, right? Yeah, we also showed a few episodes back how to specifically take those artifacts, put them in your own server, library server, whether it's like a gem or an egg or whatever module, and then uh, point to that specific server for those specific libraries that you want to only be pulled in from your artifact server. So obviously that's another way to, to handle it. And so because I want to make sure everyone who listens has an understanding, like the checksum bit that Seth mentioned was you take all of the contents of a file, the file name, et cetera, build a checksum of those. Basically everything inside the file becomes part of the checksum. So if anything is modified inside of that file, the checksum changes and then, you know, there's a difference. And so something basically it's a way of saying this, something in this file changed. And that's essentially how the check checksum check works. Yep. Yep. And it, it, I mean, it's a fairly easy, well, uh, I shouldn't say it's fairly easy because I, I mean, we've struggled with this for years, right? Um, you know, we've always talked about supply chain attacks since the days that I got involved with security and with coding um, and, and what we actually trust. We're doing a little bit better from a strict, you know, man in the middle perspective as far as, oh, we're using SSL or TLS, right? Encrypted communication. So somebody can't just drop in there and send you commands in the middle of your you know, your curl request. Um, but along those lines, we're not necessarily, we, we give so much trust to those endpoints and to GitHub, to RVM, to, uh, you know, any one of these places that watering hole attacks become more realistic. Um, I, I mean, I think the reason that we're seeing so many supply chain attacks is because we've done a good job of, actually limiting things like viruses and malware from getting in through other channels. And so now they're turning to the place where they see a weakness and it's pretty easy to tell, like, what are the popular packages on NPM? Okay. Who are the maintainers that are there? Hey, I, I mean, I just got distracted because I saw in that HashiCorp fault uh, article, you know, Oh, they're running curl dash I. And I thought to myself, Hmm, I wonder how many packages on GitHub that I can just go search, use curl-i, right? 
And, you know, there's something like 140,000 different packages that have that specific uh, keyword um, that are doing that. That doesn't mean that there's 140,000 vulnerabilities, but if one of those is a package maintainer, if one of those has access or is being run by a CI CD pipeline, and I can influence what's actually being pulled in there, then that's where the danger happens. So it's yeah. a large way to pull off a large scale attack pretty easily. Yeah. No. Yeah. And well, and that was the other one, right? Um, like if I was group. an attacker, any developer tool of any kind, like whether it's for like logging or if it's for metrics or if it's AB testing, that's like a prime target. If I'm trying to do large scale, you know, exploitation. Yeah. Um, no, that's not it. Okay. Hold on. Are you trying to build a POC on the fly? Yep. Yep. Bring that's down what the I'm entire doing. supply chain. <laughs> that's what you're doing. Figured as much. <laughs> Conquering the world. By the okay, way, it was, while we're it waiting, was Coca Pods. That's what it was. And this one was from Portswigger, right? Oh. Well, no, share yeah, that. Daily Swig. Oh, wait. Um, let's see. Oh, RC exploit exposed keys repo used by 3 million mobile apps. Okay, never mind. That's a supply chain a threat. But that's, yeah. Okay, hold on, I'll share it as well. It just seems like these are they're starting to come fast and furiously and people and I wonder if people are going to start ignoring it or I hope not. Yeah, I hope not. I, I mean, we were yeah, the last time I worked, you know, for a big financial firm, this is one of the problems that we were trying to solve and we had to do it through process. Right? Everybody wanted all the developers wanted to use packages. Hmm. Um and you know, we recognize that that was a threat. I mean, especially when you're moving around millions of dollars a day, right? Um, if not tens no of millions incentive. of dollars, no incentive there, right? But this was the, that, that was the whole thing, right? There's all these, you know, Java and .NET libraries. Yes, it's a big financial Java and .NET, but they wanted to use everything. And it, at some point it came down to, guess what? Security has got to give you a blessing on that and we have to vendor it in. That's how they solved it is we, we would go on every look. package for each and every package. And it was a huge pain in the ass, right? <laughs> a huge pain in the ass. But when it came down to it, it was like, okay, from a company risk perspective, it was worth it. You know, yeah, you've got some senior, you know, security people looking at these packages, but a lot of the checks were as simple as, okay, how active is the package? Who's maintaining it? Um, right? Like, are they fixing security issues as they come in? What are the security issues that they have, right? If something has, you know, I don't know, like 10, 20, you know, high severity issues over the last two years, guess what? Maybe we should pick a library that only had one or two, right? Based on, you know, popularity and everything else. But there was a lot that went into it to actually evaluate those packages. Um, and it wasn't quite full code review as much as we wanted to do that on all those libraries, just because we didn't have the time. Um, and that's, that's where I go back to the whole, okay, NPM, the NSP guys, you know, you guys over at GitHub, there's a bigger team now, I'm sure. But right back in the day when it was Lyft Security and Adam, right, there was what, three or four guys that were like doing all the NSP audit stuff. Yeah. Yes. I'm, yeah. You're hesitant no to comment. talk too much. <laughs> no comment on resourcing. But we are actually working on and are in the pro process of moving over NPM's bug bounty to 
our bounty. So there should be nice. some news in the coming months of uh, sort of a unified place to submit bounty bug bounty reports. And uh, who knows, maybe there'll be some other fun stuff that I can tease out, but not yeah. say, but not say, <laughs> but definitely tease. So stay tuned. That's stay, what I would say. Stay tuned. Yeah. yeah. Now the world of supply chain attacks is super interesting and more than ever makes sense for that to be the place as an attacker to go and, yep. and uh, insert your malicious code. Well, I, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like you think about malware and mm-hmm. most malware right now is written for, is still written for windows because it has the largest share of the market from a consumer perspective. Um, so if I'm developing, uh, you know, a, I didn't know platform, that by the way. Yeah, you didn't. Oh, I mean, there is malware for Macs. There is malware for Linux. Um, but the majority of it is written for Windows systems because there's more of them that are out there. So if I write something, I'm, I want I want the widest reach possible. I'm going to target the system that has that widest reach. Uh, and and this is a weakness in the, I mean, it's a weakness in the supply chain. Is, you know, there's all these systems that are out there. There's depending on public resources, there's details that we can tease out um, and we can figure out what's going on with specific packages, who's dependent on them and then go for it. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I don't know. I mean, if you'd ask me. Say. Yeah. No, I was going to say, if you asked me seven years ago, I would have been like, yeah, for sure. Definitely windows over Mac for malware. But now I haven't even looked recently. Like I don't, I don't know because I don't keep up with the goings on of malware other than reading news sites. Yeah. Um, so I don't have any like, you know, hard statistics or information to point to, but that would make sense because of the ubiquity of windows, but also in enterprise environments where money is like definitely a thing, right. And to, to scam people out of, and uh, yeah. so it would make sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you're starting to see a shift that people, that malware actors, I, I mean, and we could dig into to this, like we, you know, we could probably pull some articles up for a future episode uh, if people are interested, but like my take from what I see just in the releases that are coming out and the vulnerabilities, like windows is going to remain a pretty large share but I also think that um, on the mobile side, right, Android is still a huge target as well. Um, iOS is is getting bigger, so anytime that those exploits come out for iOS or Android, uh, they're being taken advantage of very, very quickly. Uh, so if it's a if it's a even a white hat, right? Like if they find some of those vulnerabilities, they release a proof of concept. You'll see those in the wild. You'll see those pop up in the wild um, pretty quickly, um, which is why like I'm always recommending people. I mean, you got to keep up to date, right? Like my non-technical friends and family. I've had recently, like people are like, well, I usually like to wait on the, on the, you know, the Mac OS releases because, you know, just want to make sure that it's stable. And I'm like, what are you doing? Right. Like, and then you call me asking why your computer's running slow. Right. That's because you're, you know, three or four revs behind, you're not on the latest version. And yeah. Are cloud providers hosting artifacts and doing like security scanning, like uh, 
Amazon or Azure or Google Cloud, are they doing any of that where they, they like say, hey, we'll host your libraries for you and we'll also scan them for security vulnerabilities? Is this like a service or has that not happened yet? Um, so you're asking if they're hosting packages? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just curious because, you know, they do everything for you and they've got like, because someone had mentioned in Slack, uh, Larry mentioned in Slack, um, Windows Defender. And then it made me think of like, other, not like Windows, not like a host base, you know, I'm talking about just the general sense of like, for instance, guard duties, like a service they Amazon offers, right? Um, just kind of to take care of some of this stuff for you to offload some of that security reasoning and like find bad things first, right? So it just makes sense to me that I would imagine, I haven't messed around in Amazon more than like building some ET, EC2 boxes and doing some stuff I have to do recently. So um, I don't know if that's like a thing, but I would imagine that would be smart. Uh, yeah, I mean, AWS has Code Artifact, right? Which is their artifact management tool, um, but it's fully managed, right? So I, I'm not sure how much security stuff they are they're checking into with that outside of what the repositories themselves are using. Right. Um, but I know that you can use it to store your own artifacts yeah. as well. So that would make sense. But I, yeah. I think it would be cool if they went a step further. I mean, I know GitHub, we're, we're doing all of that kind of stuff too, but I think like cloud providers where all of your, it would just make sense. And to like, basically what I'm saying is like hitting the easy button, right. Or you just you deploy everything in one service account from end to end, all of your stuff. And also know that like your supply chain has got some level of, trustiness or something. I don't know. I'm just musing. I'm just thinking. <laughs> See, I, I like, I, I don't know. Okay. I don't so now answers. you've got me like, I'm, I'm looking up the, you know, <laughs> AWS code artifact to see how it actually works. <laughs> Apparently we need some research time in here as well. We're going to have to build that in. Yeah. Um, I mean, they do like DNS, right? They do DNS, they do email, they do all kinds of banana stuff all over the place. So you could literally deploy a platform from scratch with very little code on say a Lambda and using um, incognito and um, uh, what is it? API gateway. And then yeah. you've got places that you, you know, things you can like, uh, what is it? Uh, I think they have, they used to have, they may not have Redis anymore. I know they, they had Memcache as an in-memory database service. You've got your regular uh, relational database stuff too that they offer like MySQL and Postgres. So yeah, they offer everything. Why not that? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it, you know, it's similar because you've already got CDNs that do a lot of this, right? Um, so Cloudflare right. already has all the JavaScript stuff that's in there. So you know that's coming from a source or or, you know, one of the other ones, there's multiple, um, you know, pulling down jQuery or whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it would make sense to host the other. But then again, it becomes such a scalable, like there's only so many eyes that people can put on that, right? Like, and you start looking at the number of packages that are out there and then what happens when one of them's vulnerable, does it get pulled? Or does it get right? Like, what what does that look like? Who's the source of authority on any of that? Like, it, it, it's a very very complex problem. It's not like DNS where we can all, we can all go back to the root servers. 
Um, Cause you can go to NPM, but NPM may not be all right. Like depending on where the developers are putting that code out, that may not be the source of authority. Oh, I've been in on those conversations lately and it's not easy. I do not think that it's easy or trivial at all. No, not, not, no, I agree with that. My yeah, thought I, was just being lazy. Like, can I do everything in one place and like have everything just secured for me and just be lazy? So, so that's really my perspective on things. You're, you're going back to the one, the one true framework that is secure and does it all for you. And, no, not one true framework. Just, I mean, sort of the same idea though. Just let it me is. offload the cognitive, you know, <laughs> like don't make me think or do stuff. All right. That's all I'm saying. I mean, why is that so hard? Come on. Well, that's what guardrails are about, right? Like that's what, yeah, yeah it is. No, but then they want a new feature and you have to pull in new libraries and you have to, you know, like I said, at the, at the financial that I worked for, it was a, it was a manual process. Stuff would come in and the developers would get all mad because it would take us two weeks to, to push out a new library for them. And it was just the cost of, Hey, we want the, the company wants that control. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess That's all you depends. got. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it just depends on your your needs and goals, and yeah, I mean, but I don't know. I'm just thinking from different pers- from a uh, yeah. Um, do you want to move on to the uh, past this one into the next topic of uh, yeah. what I? Because I thought this was this. How did you even? This is really cool. Like, I'm glad that you found this and um, someone this took one... the time to re to write this yeah. up. Yeah, um, this popped up. I can't remember if it was my Twitter feed or one of the news things that I was reading. Um, but um, it's somebody that, that's been in the industry for a little while. And basically, it's a you know what I should have done, what I wish I would have known when he was starting doing pen testing. Um, and it's a really good list of I, I mean, I, I know when you looked at it as well, like we agree with a lot of this and we ha- we we actually say half of these phrases in our course when we're talking about source code review, right? Um, but it's a, it's a good list of, hey, when you get into the industry and you start doing something like penetration testing or you're working in the security field, what should I expect? And what should I actually be asking for? Um, and it, it takes a while. I mean, Ken and I teach the source code review course because we've learned so much over the years asking for code, looking at code. But this is a good list of, hey, you just in general, you're talking to developers, you're talking to system administrators about security things or architects. What is it that you're going to be asking and what should I realistically expect from, a, I mean, I say a client because I'm working as a consultant right now, but from a client or, or an internal resource in order to perform a test and to do it effectively. Um, and it, yeah, the, the first, I mean, he's got a list of what, like 10 items, I think something like yeah, that. Yeah, more than, more, yeah, something like that, but a little bit more. But yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, I'd like yeah. to. Yeah. I mean, we, we should talk about about some of these, but before before we jump into the list itself, right? Like that was one thing I was going to ask you after I read it and after I, I proposed it for today was 
um, like what what is the one thing right coming into the industry if you were coming into the industry now you wish you would know like with the experience that you have or if you could go back and talk to yourself you know 15 years ago what would you tell yourself mm, yeah um so i think like let me just take several of these bucket them under a category and then explain that that's the category Okay. that I would like to have known a bit more about. So I would say like um, the things that I took me a while probably are like, so don't be, af- so I think that the, there's, there's a few here. So don't be afraid of talking to clients. Um, I think the other one, uh, which was don't, um, sorry. Uh, there was, there was one that was actually pretty important. Um ask the dumb questions. Um, and then let's see, I think there was a third one. Um, well, it's not. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of like anytime you're asking for, um, so like there's two separate ones that I think are kind of tied together, which is always ask for equivalent as access and, a, and a avoid, um, uh, black box, black box testing. So in all of those things, one common thing I think that they share is sort of, um, you know, you said it like going into this, you don't have the experience at that point when you're going into it to know that like, so for instance, when we, when you and I worked at Fishnet, we didn't get to talk to clients except for an initial intro call just to see if any of the stuff in our paperwork was missing or we needed like follow up on. So like they would we had a common set of things like, what are you concerned about? What is your, do you, what URLs that not even really what you're concerned about? What, what things do you want us to assess? That's a different conversation. It's like more, that was just like logistically, what are we assessing? What are the URLs accounts, blah, 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 blah. And that's great. And then you like basically cover that in an intro call. But the problem with that is that it, and that's about it. That's all about all the communication we have with clients. And that's just a failure all around. Like that should not be the way it is. You should be able to constantly talk to your clients. Like if you need to, um, you know, I've got, I've got a construction going on in my house. The general contractor, he's awesome. He asks me constantly for like opinions. Like if this thing should be there, Hey, I noticed this thing. Uh, we could do it this way. This is how it's set out, but here's your limitations. And that kind of feedback is amazing. Now, like when you're new, you don't know that like, you should be asking dumb questions because they're not dumb questions. And most people just skim over it and they just say like, they just say, well, I'll figure that out. I'll, fi- I'll whatever. It's probably not that important of a detail. I'll figure it out. Um, I think that's a lack of, I don't know. I, would you say self-esteem or like your feeling of your inadequacy or competency, but it's like a mistake. You, you should not be afraid to talk to clients and ask them questions because that's, that's absolutely vital during the process of an assessment. I, I feel also, I don't, but you don't know, like, like I said, if you, if you just come in and that's your first consulting gig, you don't know that like, that's not normal to just be like, Oh, you have one little second to talk to the client. And then after that, just go through your 17 layers of project managers. That's not normal. You need to be able to talk to the clients. You need to be able to ask them things you might think are dumb questions, regardless of how you feel about how that reflects on you. That's incredibly important. And then, and then again, this is like going further, which is like, again, you don't have the experience yet to know, or possibly the belief in yourself to know that like you, 
a black box test is usually a shit idea for most companies. Like it's usually just not a good idea. It's not something that's very comprehensive. It's oftentimes a waste of money and resources. And while it can be very fun for the pen tester, what's the point if it doesn't do anything meaningful for the company, which is again, going back to the always ask for equivalent access, that fourth part of all of this, which is like, um, if you need a certain level of access to go further in your assessment to validate something, again, go back, talk to your, I think all of these are kind of tied together. You don't know all of this in the beginning, but you need to know that you need to go back and communicate and, and ask for these things and be able, it's not demanding. It's, it's you trying to give them the best test that you can. So for me, these are all wrapped up under the guise of like, read this before you get too far into consulting and understand that those four things are super important. Um, and don't ever not ask more questions because you're afraid of what people think of you. That's actually yeah. most of the time other people want to ask those 99% of the time, other people want to ask those questions, but they're too afraid to look dumb. Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, that's what I would go back to, right. Is um, your, your viewpoint coming into an assessment is, um, just as valid as, I mean, especially if you're doing the work, you're the one that's, that's assessing an app is, is more important than, uh, you know, just a little bit of, Hey, maybe I don't understand this portion and I'm uncomfortable with it. Um, or I need to know how this works. Um, I, I can't tell you the amount of time, especially like you go back to the fishnet days, but the amount of time that I spent trying to figure out how different components of an application worked um, when my time would have been better spent actually, you know, testing authentication or, uh, you know, fuzzing variables that, you know, I, ha I had to spend four or five hours on to figure out exactly how the interactions went. Now, with, with, with time and experience, it gets a lot easier to ascertain that. So maybe nowadays I wouldn't need to have that conversation, but I could have saved myself and the client a lot of time and heartache just by asking those questions and, you know, the, the fear of asking of the fear of it, I, I think it all goes back to imposter syndrome. Ken. That's, that's, I mean, that's the best way to say it, imposter syndrome. And like you, somebody hired you to do this job. So presumably, unless the place you're getting hired at is like, I mean, completely unqualified to be doing whatever they're doing. You got the job because you can do the job. So yeah. Stop shitting on yourself. I'm saying this to my, I wish I could have said this to my earlier, earlier self. Don't shit on yourself so much. Like let other people do that if they want, but don't do it to yourself, you know? Yeah. But, and, and the other thing, right. Is you got to be kind to yourself, right. You're going to miss stuff. Right. I just, that happens. It happens. And um, if, if the company, I don't know, if the company is really concerned about security Number one, they're probably not suggesting a black box unless they just don't know that anything else exists. Uh, but yeah. number two, they realize that it's an iterative process and right. they're going to expect that your viewpoint is going to be different than, you know, the next consultant that comes in or the next person that comes in to look at something. Um, and I have clients that are like this, right? Like I have assessments that are extremely frustrating because I've been working with the client for two or three years and they have, they've done a bang up job and listened to what I said, right? I think I've expressed this, right? Like this year, there's been a couple of these assessments that I've had and I'm like, man, like we're digging through the code and we're searching for stuff. And it, it like we're finding little like nitpicky things 
But overall, it's no longer, oh, crap, you know, half your application has SQL injection, right? You know, you, you guys just really need to up your game because they've upped, your, upped their game. And they're at that point that I'm like, man, I got to bring in somebody else. I got to have someone else look at this, this application, look at this code base, because either I need a, a different set of eyes or whatever else. But uh, you're going to make those mistakes. You're going to... Because you're not a SharePoint security yeah. person you're not a <laughs> sharepoint developer right? like, <laughs> it's always or, the same thing it's like most normal most normal uh uh things are like hey you can you assess this can you assess that and it's always sharepoint and it's like nope find someone else yeah well for and, calling okay. in other people sorry i mean for calling in other p- experts like that seems to be yeah. the number one way I, I see that like going is sharepoint related sharepoint well i, I mean i have this at joking. times too because i remember uh, that first assessment that we were on together, that first big project, right? Um, by pure happenstance, right? Like, you know, our friend, like one of one of the other consultants got put on, you know, like doing a manual code review of Python. And, or was it? No, Perl. And he was not a Perl expert, right? So, of course, yeah. he missed some stuff. And then another of the consultants who was a pro expert went back through it because the client was like, what the hell? You guys didn't find this, right? And like, I remember it was this huge source of contention at the time. Um, But I look back at it now and I'm like, okay, that was more of a resourcing issue. That was more on the management side of things than it was on the, you know, the consultant that made that mistake, right? And guess what? They learned something from it. They improved their skill set and it was fine. Seth, I think that consultant might have been me. No, no, I, it wasn't. I know exactly no, what I'm me. talking okay. about. It was yeah. not you. But there oh, was okay. multiple of those that happened, right? Like, it's, Well, because I was put on a Pearl assessment and uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But I wasn't a Pearl. But there, there was like one thing that I missed. I remember one time. But yeah, if you're talking about a bigger thing now, then it was me. Yeah. I mean, I remember at, at Fishnet, well... And, I, I mean, this is how it was back in the day because there was so many, so many clients asking for assessments, but they didn't want to tell you anything. They're like, "Here's a URL. Here's some creds. Go." Um, yeah, let's yeah. like not even to mention incomplete source, source that you could never run. Yep. You're getting. Remember the time we had a? Yeah, I can say this. Remember the time we had a gas pump? We didn't have <laughs> like all. We didn't have all parts of the code. Like we didn't have the side that the gas pump talked to. We literally were looking at C code for a gas pump to find like rounding errors and like mathematical operations that could go wrong and like timing issues and just, you know, obviously the the typical C level issues, but we only had like a fraction of the source code. So like, yeah, can you tell us if our ATM or um, our gas pumps are going to be secure? Here, like, do that in the three days. Yeah. Great. Wonderful. Yeah, sure. No, might as well just tell you now. Thumbs or up. Print F, right? Like, yeah. Grep for STR cat, right? Like, and, yeah. but granted, there's no like input into that, right? Like, yeah, it was. Uh, you're basically just searching for like mem copy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you're not like actually doing anything valuable. I mean, you're just doing a basically a regex search at that point. So it's like, what are, what are we doing? What are we, what game are we playing here? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. It like Lee brings up a good point, right? Like it should be a collaboration, not a red team exercise. And like I, I end up dealing with this quite a bit as a consultant. Is uh, people asking for, um, or not knowing what they really want, 
um, asking for things that they don't, they don't really understand what they're asking for. Right. Um, right. And I, like one, one of my first questions to people usually is, Hey, okay. So what is it that you're trying to accomplish? And in what time frame yeah. are you looking like to accomplish much, it? And to accomplish it, right? <laughs> are you looking for a checkbox? Do you just need a scan? Like, and you know, to, to comply with some regulation, um, to you know, meet an auditor's playbook, you know, on a quarterly basis. All right. You know, that's, that's a valid activity that needs to happen. There's some security can, that comes out of that. You but, can hear it in people's voices too. You, that sense of like, I hate myself for asking you this, <laughs> this but yeah, <laughs> I know this is wrong, but it, uh, here's the situation, you know, <laughs> yep. they're like, but like you said, at least they, they know if they go with you know the right person, they get some value out of it. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, it just is. I, but see, you're coming and, at that from the perspective of you what? get to, you get to actually see the, the, the difference is for you now is you actually get to choose your work. If your client yeah. doesn't make sense for you, you can just be like, Hey, I don't make sense for you. Yeah. That's fine. Well, and I, I, that and I've told that to people, but, right? Like they'll, they'll come in right. and they'll say, this is what I want. And I'm like, really, you don't want me or here's, you know, here's somebody that works in the, you know, the network side of things or, you know, is, is a better like red teamer, right? Cause that's what they're doing on a daily basis. And yeah, it's super awesome. And I know they get that like uh, endorphin kick whenever they get domain admin on somebody's network. Um, but you know, the, the, the XSS pop-up just doesn't, just doesn't bring me, doesn't spark joy anymore. Right. Like it's just, you got to call Marie that activity. No, yeah, yeah no, exactly. I get it. <laughs> well, like, um, you know, it's harder for people that don't get to make that choice though. Right. The people that are just working for the op. I shouldn't say that the people that are working for the big consultancies of the world or, um, you know, for whatever reason, just don't have the, wherever they work, they're given their thing and like, not, I mean, we came across this with people in the course that were like, yeah, we're told that we have to have 3,000 apps in scope. We've got four people. I'm a manager. I include myself in that four people. And, you know, I'm going to get through all those apps in a year. And I was like, well, why? They're like, well, because, because, you know, because we're told to. Well, it was like for reasons. And it's like, man, that, well, that's that's an unavoidable. yeah, situation. It is an unavoidable situation. And that, that was it. Like working at the big financial when I first started in my career and wasn't super confident and spent two weeks, you know, looking at a JavaScript mortgage calculator that had no input outside of JavaScript, right? Like on the page that you were on because somebody assessed that as critical to the business because it calculated mortgage numbers and gave them to clients. Right. I wouldn't, yeah, and I wouldn't even say that's bad, right? Like it's not even because those hardships are what breed good, solid experience and decision making in the future. So it's not like yeah. quit your job because where you're at's terrible if they do that. It's actually more like try to take away what you would do differently next time, you know, and try to learn from that when it's your turn to make the decision on what what gets assessed and you know if a client's right for the company and, and stuff like that versus you know just. I think that the, I think that there's still stuff that you. I guess what I'm trying to say is, even in a bad situation, you can take take away some some things that'll help you later. I definitely would argue our hardships and all of these clients and engagements and all the things that we've done have absolutely been the most impactful thing. And because we talk about it, we remember it. It's those things yeah. you, you remember, you know. 
Yeah. And definitely it, it is right. Cause that was like me spending that time. Like if I go, if I go to the positives of that, right. Like, yeah, that t- two weeks was ridiculous, but the positives that came out of it, it were that I went back to the process on how we were pr- prioritizing apps told management, this is screwed up. You just spent money for me to do something that was ridiculous. Um, We started to classify, like we improved the process. We improved the intake, right? Like it became a, you know, a much wider effort and they did get more secure over time because of it. Um, But at the time it was just very, very frustrating. And like, that's part of working for a company. I think any job has that, right? There's still portions of, you know, dealing with clients or writing reports that I I don't necessarily enjoy. Um, But it like, it's necessary to, yeah, to improve and to, uh, to keep moving forward. Yeah. But bringing it back to this article, I think people just need to make sure that they, you know, do at least try to ask those questions though, at least try to, to see if the things you're doing make sense for the client, make sure you communicate with the client and all of that. And then know that there are going to be times where it's like, sorry, you're just going to have to do this assessment. It's not going to be great. Try to use your lessons learned (laughs) to do the most impactful assessment that you can. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's where I struggle too, is people that I'm friends with, right. Or that I've, I've got a really a previous relationship with. I don't want to tell no, right. It's just my nature. And um, so at times I'm I'm doing something that probably I should have pushed off to somebody else, or I took on more than I probably should have because I wanted to help somebody out. And that, yeah, it's the nature of you know being a person and being a good person, trying to yeah. trying trying to make the world a better place one you know one client at a time, one line of code at a time. Yeah, yeah. There is this concept that I like that. Um our CEO actually uh, put out there, which is the concept of kind versus nice, nice being like saying what people want to hear to like make, not saying, by the way, this is not you. I'm, I'm saying like, this is an interesting concept. I've been trying to apply more, more and more in my life, which is like nice is the concept of being like, well, this will make you feel good today, but it might screw you over in a week when we, that, good feelings gone and like the reality sets in and the thing that I said I could do, I couldn't do. Um, whereas with kind, you can gently let someone down and say, and put in a boundary and say, look, this is unfortunately, I'd love to do this. It's not going to work. You yeah. Know, et cetera. And, uh, I think that general twist on things I've been thinking so much about over the last couple months, um, just in regular life, work, everything, just when to be kind and, and um, how to avoid being nice. <laughs> that's because yeah, nice that's is useless. The, nice yeah. is useless. Nice is unless there's like, what's the purpose of that? Making somebody just feel good, but not actually giving them any value. Yep. Yep. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't see much in it. Well, I, yeah, that's just it, right? Like being, I do. I like that. I like that thought, right? Is, you know, being kind, but it also means being kind to yourself. It does. Because that's, that that's again, you know, we all have imposter syndrome. Like I know you and I both still struggle with that. Right. And how many years have we been doing this? Um, so long like time. long time. So even coming into the yeah. industry, you having imposter syndrome is not strange. Talk to us about it. Right. Cause we can point you at resources. We can help you improve your skills. That's, that's, that's not the question is, 
be kind to yourself because you're going to feel that way. You're going to feel like you're out of your depth. And at some point that's just a learning process that you have to go through. Um, and you're, you're going to do that for the rest of your life, right? Or your the rest of your career, as long as you stay in AppSec, because things constantly change. Um, like I just, I, I mean, I posted that article from Dan from 2004 on MD5, right? That's a, it's an incredible article, right? And that still makes me feel like an imposter, right? Going and listening to, you know, him talk about how they dug into that and they did cryptography and they should have been I'm like, man, I should have been there too, right? But I wasn't at that time. And that's fine. Um, but yeah. being kind to yourself with the time that you have a life as well, and you can't give everything all the time. Because if you do, you're going to burn out. There's that fine line between, hey, I'm an imposter, I'm getting things done, and I'm doing what I should be doing to, well, I'm working too much, and now I'm burned out, and I need six months to recover, and I just never want to see a computer again. I've had moments like that, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. Recovered, but yeah. I mean, you know, a few years ago, I took two and a half months off just to take long walks and get my head straight. So it happens. It very much happens. Yep. Yep. It does. It does. And sitting by the pool. Yeah. Yep. You too. Recuperating. Recuperating. Wow. Yeah. Can you believe that's been almost four years now? Has it been that long? This summer. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty awesome though. I, I mean, you know, th those, those of you that know us, right? Like we, we separated from a place about four years ago. And it took a while for us to get our heads back on straight. I think it really yep. did. It did a number. Um, but again, but, hardship yeah. breeds. There are good things that come out of that. So, yeah. yeah. Like this that, podcast. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, that's another thing going back to the article is don't, don't be afraid of the hard stuff. Right? All right. Don't be afraid to take someone's research and take it a little bit further. Don't be afraid, you know, to dig into MD5 and figure out what's going on and why the collisions are happening and how you could actually make that work or, or hell, spend the time on a, an app, a little extra time so you understand how it works because you don't have access to the developers. That hard stuff is going to pay off over time. The reason that you and I know so much about frameworks and be and about source code is because we've had to put in that time and build those apps and yeah. then secure those apps and then find vulnerabilities in those apps and then re constantly go through the new version updates to find out what has changed and what things what classes of vulnerabilities have been mitigated if any etc cetera, etc cetera. rinse wash and repeat do it over again and over and over again and keep doing it yep never ends <laughs> it never ends but the thing is right the next time that you're that you see that same sort of code base it's just that little bit easier right you're like oh this is just node oh it's this framework that they're using express oh they're using you know django admin auth i know that x y and z is what happens within this code base and and you become that much better at it. And they like clients are appreciative of that, of that, right? There's a reason why over time seniors get paid more than juniors and, and so on. And it's that experience that you get. So it's worth it to put in the time. Um, it's worth it to fill the imposter syndrome and push through. It. <clears throat> I did want to just real quickly address some of the more tactically in like, efficient things that they talk about in here. So like real quickly, um, 
So that was, you know, that was sort of like the general philosophical approach. It's incredibly important. But again, just from like a tactical, like day-to-day type perspective, um, write the report while you, while you're doing your test is absolutely it's vital was a game changer for me. Yes, it, yes. Do that. Don't ever wait until the end. That is you're setting yourself up for failure. I could go into a long, long, what, where are we on time? I don't want to do that. Yeah. We've got two minutes left. So what I would say is like, cause you and I have a hard stop in two minutes. I would just say, do that. All right. You're going to like get to the end of the uh, end of the test. You, you're going to be like, Oh crap. I have to write this stuff up. It adds additional stress. You might've forgotten things, you, you know, note taking and, and, and discipline in your note taking and discipline in your methodology is how you find bolts. It's not like, uh, I was just looking around this app and I got some inspiration and boom, I'm like a elite hacker. That's not how this works, right? You, you have to have a methodology you follow. And they talk about images, scripts that, that reproduce the the issue that you've identified. These are all great. I highly recommend those two things. And then um, what was the last thing that uh, there was a really, really cool. Oh yeah. So the one I like to talk about is including, they said, include what you didn't do. And I actually highly, highly recommend doing that. There are in executive summaries. Oftentimes you get a chance to sort of give a big picture of the app, but I think it's important if it's not in the executive summary or if it's somewhere else you talk about somewhere in your report, what you couldn't get to. And, um, you know, time limitations are what they are. People understand that and let them know this is the things that you should test in your set. You, you and I have totally done this where we've, we've hopped on calls and been like, look, consider this your first wave of assessments. We're like going for, you've got a lot of security stuff that we need to address first. There should be follow-up though. These are the things we couldn't get into because there were so many things we had to write up because we wrote a report as we tested. Yep. But uh, anyways, we're at time. So I'm going to just wrap it up there, Seth. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot going on there. And I think we could talk about this for a long time. So maybe, you know, we'll put our own list together at some point and release it because um, we do have a blog coming. But anyway, let's uh, call it for today. Um, join us online. Jump into the Slack channel. We'll keep the conversation going there. Hit us up on Twitter, uh, what have you. Um, but thanks, everyone, for joining and we'll, we'll catch you all next week. Take it easy. Thank you.